as I journey through the land, singing as I go, pointing souls to Calvary, to the crimson flow. Many arrows pierce my soul from without within, but my Lord leads me on, through him I must win. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face, there to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. When before me billows rise from the mighty deep, then my Lord directs my bark, he to safely keep. And he leads me gently on through this world below. He's a real friend to me, oh, I love him so. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face. There to sing forever of His saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. Oh, I want to see Him look upon His face. There to sing forever of His saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. I know that amen was for the preaching. No. Boy, they did a great job, didn't they? I like that song, and they did a fabulous job on it. Man, that was great. Well, again, last week I was telling you my woes in the singles class. And um, this week, I've got to admit, they really came alive. And there's a couple of them they really wanted me to share with you. These are the puns, some of the puns I share in class, and it's just a very small sample, mind you. Uh, you're not going to have the entertainment value that they did. <clears throat> but I'll give you just a couple of them because they were so excited to, for me to share them. They were twisting my arm that I share a few of these with you. How's your long-distance relationship going? So far, so good. Right? Okay, some of you got it. <clears throat> Why'd the apricot ask the prune to dinner? Because he couldn't find a date. Hey, I, come on now, those are good. Those are good, you know they are. Come on now. So what if I can't spell Armageddon? It's not the end of the world. <laughs> you know, I wanted to learn how to drive. A, I wanted to learn how to drive a stick shift, but I couldn't find a manual. 
That's a good one. <laughs> of course, most of you probably already know this one, and I'll end with this, but what do you get from a pampered cow? Spoiled milk. <clears throat> All right. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take our Bibles today and turn over to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. Now, I'm going to, um, I'm going to have you turn also, if you have a songbook available, um, and I know that we haven't spread out through here, but if you have a songbook, why don't you turn to page 145, and uh, I, want to, um, I want to show you something that says, kind of baffled me for a while, and I know it shouldn't have, but I'm kind of slow like this. But let me show you something that I just learned, and that really stuck out in my mind, I guess, recently, and maybe I've learned it before and I just forgot. You know, you've never done that, right? Learned something, forgot it, but but on, on page 145 in the songbook, there's a song entitled, It Is Well With My Soul. And that last verse, it's a great verse, and I like when my son plays it, he'll go a key change up on that last verse, and it says, you know, and Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. And that phrase, even so, always confused me. Even so? Well, so all this is going on. The Lord's coming back. And Lord, haste the day when you're going to return. Boy, oh boy. Even so? Even so? But I want you to notice something in the book, if you're looking at it. Notice there are quotations around it. Even so, quote, unquote. You know what that's telling me? That that is a direct quote. You say, oh, wow, you're really smart. (laughs) But it's a direct quote from the Bible. So it's not like he's saying, well, even so. No, we go back to Revelation chapter 22, and we find the quote, and it puts it in context. And so we recognize and realize that the writer of the song was pointing to Revelation and John's attitude toward the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even so, he says, it is well with my soul. Watch what he says here in Revelation chapter 22. Let's begin in verse 16, and we'll read through verse 21. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root of the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely 
I come quickly. Amen. Here it is now. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. What's John saying? You say you're coming quickly. You say you're coming back soon. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Do it just like you said. Get back here as soon as possible. And as the writer of the song is putting together or penning this final verse, he's not saying, well, even so, it's well with my soul. He's saying, even so, like John the Apostle said, come Lord Jesus and come quickly. This morning I want to share five reasons why John could say, even so. See, I believe today that not every believer is as excited about Christ coming back as others. And I'm not necessarily saying that's all bad. Don't misunderstand, because you're going to understand as we go through these five reasons what helps to create the mentality of even so. And we're going to see some of this, and it'll make more sense, but let's be honest. A young person is probably not nearly as excited to say even so as somebody that's 80. A 30-year-old, that's family's just young, and they're having the opportunity to see them begin to grow, and they're in school, is probably not as likely as somebody that's 60, and all their children are grown up and out of the house, and their health is beginning to wax and wane, to say, even so. So let's look at five reasons why John could say, even so. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Father, we ask, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts today, and we pray that you would just use this message to encourage us and to instruct us and even inspire us. Lord, be glorified now in what will be said and done. May it be to your glory. May only those things which please you be said. May you guide my tongue and lead me. And may you also fill me with your spirit. Father, I beg you that you fill each person here with your spirit and that we would listen with spiritual ears. May our lives be different for having come today. May we leave here and not be the same. May we be better for having been here and meeting with you. Lord, if there be those that are without Jesus Christ, may they make a decision to trust and receive Jesus before it's eternally too late. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Five reasons why John could say even so. Well, first of all, his relationship with Christ. You say, ah, we've heard this a million times. Hold on. Hold on now. Let me finish the message. I think you're going to understand that you're going to be surprised the position the preacher takes on this. His relationship with Christ. You know, so many years ago when this was written, so many years before he had met the Master. Over in the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 21 and 22, the Bible says, and going on from thence, he saw other two brethren. Talking about Jesus, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. 
Jesus is on his way and he's making his, his round, so to speak, and he sees there James and John, and there they are with Daddy. They're in the ship and they're mending their nets. They're preparing for the next day and they're making ready an opportunity to increase the family business. And man, Jesus comes across those two and, and he, he speaks out and the Bible tells us here in this particular passage that he called unto them. And they immediately, the Bible says, left the ship and their father and they followed him. It was so many years earlier here that they hadn't met him. John is writing this passage here in Revelation and he's remembering all the way back there when he first met the Lord Jesus Christ. He's remembering all the way back whenever Jesus came and said, come on, let's go, fellas. And they said, yes, sir. He's remembering that. So many years ago he had met the Master and from that time on, his life would never be the same. He spent the next three years with Jesus, learning and growing and the, experiencing the impossible. His relationship with Jesus continued to grow and to grow and to grow. See, it would be John that could be found resting his head upon the Savior's uh, breast there at the Last Supper. In the book of John, chapter 13, verse 21, when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting whom he spake. Now there was, leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. You know he's referring to? John. John. What a relationship he had with the Lord. How dependent was he upon Jesus Christ? We believe that John was likely the youngest of all the disciples, and there we find him snuggled up to Jesus Christ, loving on the Lord, the Master, the Lord Jesus. And in the culture and the age in which we live, that seems a little funny, but my friend, there is nothing wrong with somebody loving their Savior. It was John who Jesus would entrust the care of his mother just moments before his death on Calvary. There while hanging on the cross, he would look out upon the crowd, and there wasn't that many of his own there, of course, but John was there. And he said, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, woman, behold thy son. He was basically transferring the authority and the care of his mother to John. This is the kind of relationship that John had with Jesus a relationship in which Jesus Christ himself trusted John. Can Jesus trust you and I with those things that are most important to him? It was John who, after the resurrection, assured Peter that it was Jesus who was standing on the shore. Jesus who had instructed them to cast their nets on the other side of the ship. Again, after the resurrection, the, the disciples have gathered again. They'd gone a-fishing, and now Jesus shows up on the shore, and he's over, hey, hey, you ain't caught nothing all night, but if you cast your net on the other side. And Peter's like, whoa, who in the world's that? And John's the one that says, that's Jesus. That's Jesus! The Bible tells us in John 21, 24, this is the disciple which testified to the, oh, excuse me, I'm ahead of myself. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. 
And now when Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord. And then he girded his fisher's coat unto him, and he was naked, and he did cast himself in the sea. He said, man, fellas, I'm out. If that's Jesus, I'm going after him. Thank God for a Peter. Even though Peter sometimes put his foot in his mouth, he loved Jesus too. And now for years, John has faithfully and sacrificially served the master, the Lord Jesus. Take your Bible, look at John chapter 21, would you please? John chapter 21, we're going to look at verse 24. John chapter 21, verse 24. For years he has faithfully and sacrificially served the master day by day. John chapter 21, verse 24. The Bible says, This is the disciple which testifieth of these things. Because we know John is the pen by which God used to write this passage. And he wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen? Man, John had spent a life his life with the Lord Jesus Christ early on, physically, literally, and now for years he's been watching as God's been working and moving. We understand that at this writing, he says, listen, although there's many things in the Word of God concerning Jesus, it doesn't even scratch the surface. I've known him. I've walked with him. I've talked with him. I've lived with him and I've served him. It's amazing all the things that he's done, John says. I know him. I know him so well. My relationship with him is so close and so intimate. I believe one of the reasons why John could say even so. Even so, come Lord Jesus. You come back today, you come back quick. It's because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. Number two, because of the loss of friends and loved ones. Because of the loss of friends and loved ones. It's believed that John is now over 90 years of age at this point. When he's writing Revelation, he's over 90 years of age, it's believed, or at least close thereabouts. And although he's continued to serve in the work of God, most if not all of his closest friends, his acquaintances, his family members have already entered eternity. And I tell you, the life expectancy of a person in those days wasn't as long as it is even today, and yet John is living to the age of 90 now, and he looks around him and he sees the landscape of Christianity and his family, and he says, where are all those people I served with? Where are all those people I love? Where are all those people that helped to start the work and to move in the right direction? They're no longer here, and I long to see them, and I long to be with them, and I long to talk again with them and walk again with them and to share with them again. Peter and Paul were both martyred in Rome about 66 AD during a persecution that Emperor Nero had brought about. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified. And at his own request, he was crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to be crucified like Christ. Thomas, tradition has him preaching as far east as India. They claimed that he died there when 
pierced through with spears from a number of soldiers. Philip, while in Asia, Asia Minor, he happened to convert one of the wives of a Roman proconsul. In retaliation, that proconsul arrested him and cruelly put him to death. Matthew, he ministered in Persia and Ethiopia. At least that's what we believe. Some of the oldest reports say that he wasn't even martyred. However, I kind of get the impression he probably was because there's word that he was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. James, the son of Alphaeus, is obviously one of the, one of the least of the three Jameses referred to in the New Testament. But this James is reckoned to have ministered in Syria. The Jewish historian Josephus, he says or reports that he was stoned and then ultimately clubbed to death. Simon the Zealot is believed to have ministered in Persia and was killed after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. Matthias the apostle, who was chosen to replace Judas, tradition sends him to Syria with Andrew and to death by burning. John remembers them well. John not only grew up with them, but John served side by side with them. And now John looks around him and he alone stands for God from that generation. John has lost so many loved ones, so many friends. He knows they're living. He knows they're with God. He knows that they're alive and well, but I've got to believe his heart is heavy as he longs to again fellowship with those departed. See, I believe that one of the reasons that John could say, even so, come Lord Jesus, is because of the loss of friends and loved ones over the years. Number three, not only his relationship with Christ, the loss of friends and loved ones, but the trials that life brings. Just the simple trials that life brings. Take your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, please. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Paul the Apostle is writing to Timothy, his son in the faith. Uh, one might refer to him even as a protege. Notice what he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12. He says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Boy, we know that Paul the Apostle had endured tremendous hardship over the years. No doubt about that. I mean, he knew the reality of the verse that he shared with Timothy. But I promise you that John knew something about persecution as well. He had spent his life serving the master and he found himself hunted by the authorities. The Bible, or should I say tradition, tells us that during Domitian's persecution in the middle of the 90s, I'm talking about 1990s, we're talking about the 90s. But that's when he was exiled to Patmos to take his place with the most vile criminals 
in the empire. Can you imagine being put in the most maximum security prison to be loosed with all of those prisoners, the worst of the worst. And that's where John was sent, to the Isle of Patmos, where the worst of the worst went, all because of his faith in Christ. There, he's credited with the writing of the last book of the New Testament, the book we just read, Revelation. Now, tradition has him escaping or getting removed from the island and ending up in a boiling pot of hot oil. But he lived that one, too. He outlived it. God delivered him. And we're told that he, of all the apostles, likely died of old age. At least we're given that impression. And from Scripture, it seems to be the case as well. But can I tell you, he knew what trials were, and he knew what troubles were. I tell you, it's, it's not... Uh, It's not always immediately in life that we recognize how difficult life can be. When you're young and you're healthy and you've got so much going for you, you've got the hope of a bright future, maybe you're smart, you're intelligent, you're athletic, you're good-looking like the pastor. Man, life is good. And you know life is and can be very good, and it ought to be. And you ought to have hope and you ought to have the the, the expectation of God blessing and working and moving in your life. Absolutely, you should. But as you get older and all of a sudden things start to catch up to the body, all of a sudden the weight and the pressure of life comes to weighing you down. you got a tick in your neck. (laughs) You can't raise your arm any higher than this. Steps become real difficult, and you got to go up them sideways. (laughs) Let me tell you something. Even so, even so, Lord, come. Won't you come now? I'm ready and waiting. There's something about life's trials. There's something about loss in our lives. There's something about our relationship and all three coming together and finally saying, listen, I love what you've done with me in my life and I'm so thankful you've given me life. But Lord, oh Lord, even so. And I believe those things really inspired John to be able to say even so. Not only... Not only his relationship with Christ, not only the loss of friends and loved ones, and not only this trials of life, but number four, the condition, the condition of the culture. The condition of the culture. Turn to 1 John chapter 2, would you? 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. I mean, five reasons why John could say, even so. Even so, 
Come, Lord Jesus. You said, surely I come quickly. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Just like you said. The condition of the culture contributed to his willingness and desire to say even so. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You know who God used to pen that passage? John. I got to believe that John's struggling. We know in the book of 1 John how there was some real apostasy. There were false teachers abounding and John is trying to protect the people of God and John is trying to help them continue to go in the right path, in the right direction and to fulfill the will and purpose of God for their lives. And he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. He is painfully aware of the pool that the culture has, that the pool of the false teachers and what pool they have in the church and, 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 and that the, the present believers are truly struggling because of the culture in which they live. Not just the culture outside, but even, if not careful, the culture inside the church. And like Paul, the apostle, John bore the burden of the church and the burden of the ministry. It's not just the finances. That's not the big burden in the ministry. It becomes a burden if they're not there. But can I tell you, the burden of the ministry is watching people struggle in their walk and relationship with Christ. Seeing them being misguided and misled by other voices. That's the care of all the churches. That's the burden that the Apostle Paul and now John is expressing. So much so that in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they, be a, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. He was undoubtedly grieving for those lured away from Christ and, the, and lured away from the church as a result of the lies of Satan when he says in 1 John chapter 2, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they are not all of us. Now John's epistle, of course, is being written and read, excuse me, being written to and read by countless churches. You have to understand that. So the departure that is not necessarily from a specific church or ministry, that's not what he's addressing. He's talking about them departing from Christ and the faith. I've often said that Community Baptist Temple is not for everybody. If it was, there would only be a need for one church. But John's concern here is for the people of God because his concern is that they are going to depart from God and the faith. The two often are very closely linked together, mind you, though. 
and John is brokenhearted, and John is so concerned, and he's so wearied with the culture and the changes that he's seen over the years, and he's so burdened for the people of God because he's watching them being coaxed and convinced to depart from God and not to believe in the Jesus that they had been shared, had been shared with them and ultimately taught to them. If you read through the book of 1 John, you understand what we're referring to there. Again, he had seen over time the subtle effects of Satan and the, and, and, and the subtle effects of the world on the church. Remember again, he was there at the beginning. I mean, John was there when Jesus showed up. John was there at the very beginning when the ministry started. John was there to see all the churches come up out of the ruins, so to speak, of the Roman Empire and to see the light of Christ shining in it. And now, he's 60 years removed from that. 60 years ago, it started. Look, if you would, in Ezra chapter 3, would you? Verse 10. Ezra chapter 3, verse 10. I, I don't know why, but this is reminiscent of the dedication of the new temple. At least in my mind, it is the dedication of the new temple following the return of the Jews to Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. Look at how two different groups of people respond to the temple being rebuilt. In Ezra chapter 3, verse 10, again, the children of the Jews have been taken captive by the Babylonians, and now they are returning to their land and they're building... The temple. And the temple is now completed and being dedicated. And notice what it says in chapter 3, verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he's good for his mercy endureth forever. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. There it is, the house of the Lord. It's going to happen, guys. We're back. We're back. But many, verse 12, of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house When the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice. Why? Because they had seen the first one. You say, well, so? You don't understand. If you go in Scripture and you look at the dimensions of the first versus the second, if you consider what God did with the first compared to the second, you'll be amazed. And let me tell you, when those old men saw what was going to be built, when they recognized what was going to happen before their eyes, oh, they were happy in one sense, but on the other hand, they realized it only... It only be a, a fraction of what it was. It'll be good, but what it used to be was amazing. 
and the young men, oh man, they're like, yeah, woo, yeah, give me a high five, baby, let's do this thing, yeah, all right, man, the temple's going up, woo, and the old men are over there weeping, they're weeping, You say, that's so crazy. They're trying to discourage the young people. No. It's just that they remembered what it was like. Do you know there's a good reason for young people to listen to the old people? You want to know why? Because they've been around a while. And they have seen things that you have never saw. And they've seen it from a different perspective and they've seen it how it used to be. And sometimes we say, oh, they're old fuddy-duddies. I don't know what their big deal is. They hate change. They just hate change. Yeah. Can I tell you, old people don't always hate change because it's called change. They hate it because sometimes, watch this, they see that that change is doing something like this. Going down instead of going up. And the world will tell you that all the change that they want to present to you and I, whether it be outside or inside the church, is good. And that it's always climbing higher. We're evolving just like we do with evolution. But my friend, evolution is no more true than that statement because the fact is, is old change is not good change. And the old men wept because even though the temple was going to go up, they knew it would never be the same. Now we're excited for the new temple, yes. But we sure wish it could be like it used to be. Can I tell you that John was there from the beginning? How could John say, even so? Because John could see the effect of the culture, not only on the world, but in the church. And he thought, man, come get me out of this. Oh, God, come quickly. It'll never be like it used to be, and I just want it to be that way. Oh, you come back and make right all the wrongs. Oh, God! I said five reasons. That's only four. Here's the last one now. The hope that he was given. It didn't just stop with the Isle of Patmos. It didn't just stop in a boiling uh, pot of hot oil. No, that's not where it all ended. It wasn't just that life was down, and it wasn't just that things were bad. It wasn't just that the culture was changing and he'd lost all his family and friends. It wasn't just those things, because number five is important. He was given hope. Look, if you would, in Revelation chapter 21 now. We'll close over there in chapter 21. In chapter 21, I want you to look at verse 1, and then we're going to look at verse 4, and then I'm going to read a few verses from 10 on. But notice what it says. 
John is given a vision. John is given the opportunity to see it firsthand. And, and, and early on, he said that he was in the Spirit, and he was, he was caught up in the Spirit. And, and we're given the impression that as John is viewing or writing Revelation, he's actually seeing it, and then he's penning it down. He's like standing on the edge of time and eternity, and he's watching it transpire and take place before his very eyes. And then he's writing it down. Notice what he saw. Revelation 21.1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. In verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Just out of curiosity, who can appreciate that verse more, a 10-year-old or an 80-year-old? Before we get too hard on our young people, let's remember, they'll get there if they live long enough. But we don't have to get them there too soon. Let's let the Lord work in their lives. Let's let Him speak to them through the Scriptures. So that their relationship with him blossom, and as that does, they'll find themselves saying, even so. But I understand when a young person struggles with that one. And I'm sure you do too now. Notice what he says in chapter 21, verse 10, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and shewed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. See, I believe that God is not limited by time. I believe that he was ushered into the future and literally saw what will be. Verse 11, having the glory of God. This holy Jerusalem descended out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto the stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof and the city lieth four square and the length is as large as the breadth and he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal and he measured the wall thereof 140 and four cubits according to the measure of a man that is of the angel and the building of the wall the building of the wall of it was of jasper and the city was pure gold like unto clear glass. He goes on to talk about the 12 foundations, but I don't want to try to pronounce them all. Verse 21. <laughs> and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. Imagine how big those pearls were. We go by our mama pearl bracelet or a pearl necklace for Mother's Day or for a birthday. Get them little teeny ones. 
Those are pretty good on earth, but boy, in heaven one day, one gate will be a huge pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it, and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and there shall be in no wise enter into it anything that defileth neither whatsoever work of the abomination or make of the lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life clear as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb in the midst of the street of it. On either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there. They need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Amen. And I don't know about you, but John, i got to believe he's getting fired up as he's seeing all of this happening before his very eyes. And he's thinking to himself, Even so, Lord, come quickly! Would to God, That picture would be so imprinted in our minds that we, like John, would say, even so. That our relationship with Christ, that the loss may be of friends and loved ones, that the trials that we face on a regular basis, that the condition of our culture from our perspective, and ultimately that hope that God has given us in Scripture, that all of those would culminate and we would look out like John and hearing the words of the Savior, the Master, the Lord Jesus Christ, we too, when He says, surely I come quickly, we would get excited, we would get moved, and we would say, even so, come Lord Jesus! I believe those five things in John's life truly put him in a place to say even so. And may I say it's those same things that will ultimately place us there. Some will take a little longer to get there because they won't see it as clearly. But I guarantee you that first one helps to move us quickly along the path to saying even so. Our relationship is first and foremost. See, John... For him, it all began with an encounter. Jesus passed by that day, and he called him. He says, in going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the ship. John, that day, he was just going about life like normal. I mean, he had just had a bus captain invite him to church. He just had a friend say, show up with me, would you? He, he just had been going through the motions like always. I go to church on Sundays. That's what I was taught to do. And therefore, I'm there today. 
But that day, while he was just doing what he always did, mending his nets, Jesus passed by. And he looked over, and he put his eye right on John. Follow me. The Bible says that John immediately got up and followed him. Today, maybe you just showed up. But Jesus just passed by and whispered in your ear, follow me. Oh, you don't know for sure. If you died, you'd go to heaven. But Jesus just spoke to you. Jesus just reminded you that you need him today. And this morning, let me tell you, you'll never be able to say, even so, Lord. Until you said, save me. It starts with a relationship. you got to come to him as he calls you. And if he has spoken to your heart today, you need to respond. The Bible says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. It starts with a relationship with Jesus. What's your relationship? Do you know for sure that heaven's your home? Do you know that he is your Lord and Savior? Not do you just know about him, but does he know you? John may have heard about Jesus before that day. But I guarantee you this. John had no doubt that Jesus knew him after that day. Do you have the confidence that Jesus knows you by name? Has he spoken to you? Has he invited you to come along, to receive and accept him? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, and I, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A gardener for a large estate in northern Italy was giving a tour of the castle as well as the beautiful and well-manicured grounds. As the visitor had lunch with the gardener and his wife, he, he commented and he commended them for the Beautiful way in which they kept the gardens. He asked, well, by the way, when was the last time the owner was here? The gentleman thought for a minute and he said, well, probably about 10 years ago. Then why do you keep the gardens in such immaculate condition? Why are they so lovely? Why are you spending so much time and work in them? The gardener said, because I'm expecting him to return. Oh, so is he coming soon? Is he going to be here next week? The gardener said, well, I don't really know when he's coming, but I'm expecting him today. He which testify these things saith, surely... I come quickly. Amen? Even so, come, Lord Jesus.
John could say even so and mean it. Can you today? I understand that sometimes it takes a little time to get from here to here. And sometimes life itself conditions us and prepares us for those words. But some of us aren't teenagers anymore. Can we say even so? Or is life still getting in the way? He's coming back. And he wants us to be waiting and watching. Do you know for sure heaven's your home? Is Jesus Christ your Savior? Before you leave today, will you settle that? Will you take care of that business? It's up to you. Father, we come to you. We ask, dear God, that you would just work and move in our lives. The God of heaven, we are truly in need of you. We believe, according to the word of God, that you're coming back. And according to the word of God, it could be any day, it could be any time. And Lord, we need to live our life like that gardener did, expecting you to come today. Father, sometimes life gets in the way, and even we who know you well aren't quite that anxious for you to come for whatever reason. Help our relationship with you to be what it needs to be. Help us to really think about just what you've done on our behalf. May we see the world in which we live. May we find ourselves grieving over the sin and over the this condition of our nation and our country and our world. And may we see ourselves digging into the word of God and recognizing that no matter how dark and grim things may get, the hope that we have in Christ Jesus and the future that awaits us is beyond comprehension. And that alone should cause us to say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Father, we'll thank you for what you'll do in lives today. We'll give you the glory for it. In just a moment, the music's going to play. In a moment it starts playing, we're going to stand to our feet. And can I tell you, once it starts playing and you stand to your feet, if you don't know for sure heaven's your home, I want you to step right out of that seat, come right forward, grab a hold of one of these gentlemen right up front, and they'll have somebody take a Bible and show you how you can settle this. You'll see the promises of God, not what the Baptist Church believes, not what Pastor O'Donnell thinks, but what God's Word says. Father, bless now this time of invitation. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Music's playing. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed.